Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit gptoronto2017.facetofacegames.com to register and learn more. of First Strike. I'm back. I'm back with the guys. We've got Rob in the house, got Brian in the house, and a special guest with us. But before that, just want to quickly mention our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles, as well as our First Strike Nation. Like, super insane how much support we're getting from our First Strike Nation and our First Strike producers. And I do want to mention that we're less than a month away from GP Toronto. So do check out gptoronto2017.com where all five core hosts of First Strike will be there. We're going to set up a meetup on Friday around 7 p.m. Can't wait to like meet a lot of you guys and can't wait for all five of us to be in the same room together. It's going to be super sweet. And there's just an insane amount of different side events that uh, Kelly and Sal and the team put together. There's people excited about the 93-94 unsanctioned yeah, event. Mike cut off. That is taking over on Sunday. I think I'm just, my connection is just a little bit off. So, anyways, we'll skip to our special guest. How's it going, Maddie DeVuti, one GP Las Vegas? The modern hey, trip. man. Thank How's you. It's going? going well. It's going great. It's been a while. I didn't like the first time I walked up, you, you were in your top eight match. I wanted to really say hi to you because it's been ages since I've seen you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of on a hiatus of sorts uh, around almost two years now. Since the last GP Vegas, essentially. So yeah, it's been a while. Like, what did you decide to take a break, or what, what was the? Yeah, I just felt like uh, it had been quite some time of me devoting everything to magic, and it was time for me to focus on other things, take a break, and then. Uh, come back to some competitive play if or when I felt like it. Okay. So you decided to, to make your return at, at GP Vegas? Uh, decided. <laughs> I, I, I was always going to go to Vegas during the time of the Grand Prix, but I was undecided which, if any, Grand Prix I was going to play. It was more just that Vegas is the kind of city that attracts a crowd and it was going to be a great time regardless of any magic played or not so it was always going to be there and then i decided to play a little last minute but yeah was there any like prep or did you just go with the deck that you know you played affinity oh 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 there was a lot of prep there was so much so much limited testing was put into the one grand prix i decided to play in las vegas which was the sealed gp in the middle uh and then i got a great pool and went oh three drop and at around midnight i decided to join modern so a lot of prep 
for the limited GP. Zero games played for the modern GP. How did you decide your deck? You've been playing Affinity forever, I guess, and had just yeah, had this list? Uh, so I've, while I've been on hiatus from competitive magic, I've still played random online events, like a mocks of some sort at different points, and anytime it's been modern, the deck I've played has been Affinity. So it's a deck that I've got a lot of matches in with over the past three years or so, but I... I hadn't tested it in the particular format I was planning on playing, so it was mostly just my familiarity with the deck, not with its place in the format. Okay, and like you went in like seeing how it's now like a Death Shadow world. Was that new to you at all? Well, I was aware be- the last uh, Grand Prix I had played the last individual grand prix i played was um grand prix vancouver in february which was also modern where i played affinity that's where death shadow was kind of starting to emerge and for that event i kind of messed around and toyed with a uh, temper steel affinity list and i decided to play that for the grand prix uh it was fine i didn't face a lot of the matchups i expected to it was a bit inconsistent at times just because I was expecting more of a path to exile metagame than I encountered, and that was really hurtful. But I kind of used the information I had from that event to base how I wanted to go into this event, even though things were a little different. It was the continuation of that Death Shadow format that gave me an idea of what I wanted to do for this event with my list. Okay, so, but like you winning, once again, it just seems like every now and again, Affinity will win a big event, and now people are like, well, it's not, not just the Death Shadow world, there's other decks that can win, and what would you say to like people playing their, their next event? Like, what type of deck would you recommend that they play? I, I think it's kind of, Affinity is this really weird deck, which it's never a bad choice in modern. It's always a really good deck, and that's because Mox Opal is just a really obscene card. Like, in a format where pretty much every other form of fast mana acceleration that is not removable using creature removal is banned, Mox Opal is legal. And that gives Affinity an edge that almost no other deck in the format has access to. So Affinity will never be a bad deck in Modern. But it goes through cycles of times when people kind of don't forget about it. They know it's there, and they're still packing some hate. But people stop playing white decks more. People, like, board one less Ancient Grudge, board one less Stony Silence, because they have to fit in that extra graveyard hate, or they have to fit in that extra life gain card. And it it has to be shaved from somewhere. And every once in a while, people start shaving from their affinity hate. And those are the perfect times when affinity isn't just good in a tournament, it's favored in a tournament. And I think that is what happened at this GP. I think anytime affinity does well in an event, and in this Grand Prix, it was three out of the top eight slots, so it was an exceptional result for a modern Grand Prix things are going to shift back where Affinity's going to be in the same slot again. So 
I don't think people should go into the format being, oh, affinity is dominant, affinity needs to be banned. People just need to be boarding the normal amount of hate cards that they were boarding before because affinity is still there. As soon as you open the door, it's going to push through. So you just need to keep the door shut by having the hate necessary. If you're playing affinity, you need to be prepared to play against the hate. Like, it's going to be there. I was ecstatic when you won, and a lot of people were uh, publicly stated that you're just an upstanding guy and, like, really beloved you. by the community. Um, you haven't, I haven't seen you in a year, but still remember all the love that you've gotten. And when you won, there's just so many known people that, you know, were super, super happy for you. Uh, how did it feel like, man, to, like, win a GP, and not just any GP, like, this is the Las Vegas GP, probably one of the more... You know, big ones, like big name ones. It it was pretty unreal. There was there were quite a lot of thoughts going through my head. I think one of the big ones was it kind of felt like redemption because the last event I played before my hiatus was Grand Prix Las Vegas 2015, and in that event I started out nine zero in a sealed format that I put no testing into because I spent my entire time testing draft. And so I went into the draft portion of that Grand Prix with the best result after day one that you could possibly have. And I felt super prepared and I felt like my day two decks were both great. And on day two, I went two, four for an abysmal result. And that was kind of the culmination of everything that was leading up to my hiatus in Magic, and that was the tipping point. And to go from that event uh, to coming back to Grand Prix Las Vegas and starting 9-0 again and having all these thoughts about the last time I was in this position, throwing the opportunity away, to instead maximize on it, because following a 9-0 into a win is the best you can do with it, to maximize on that opportunity given the second chance. It felt like redemption in a poetic way that wouldn't have been possible with any other result, and at that time, it just really sank in that I'd done it. And that was awesome. <laughs> so sweet. So sweet. Rob, you have any questions for Manny? I mean, like, oh, so you played 15 rounds, I, I guess, of the, the current format now. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's about where you are. Like, what do you think your, your good matchup is? Like, do you think you're on average favored versus something like Grixis Death Shadow? Or I guess, would you run it back? If you if there's so, a tournament coming up this week, if, if there was a tournament coming up this week, I and I was to play modern, I would play affinity because I don't know any other deck to play. Uh, I think it's the deck I have the most familiarity with, which I think is worth a lot in modern. So oh, I would sure. play affinity. I, I would definitely play affinity again. In regards to death shadow, I don't know. I went into the tournament speaking with some people and theorized that Affinity was favored in the Death Shadow matchup. I didn't get to put that to the test because I didn't play the matchup a single time. So, in theory, it should be good. Uh, If people are still on Shadow, Affinity should still be good. But I didn't play the matchup, so I don't know. (laughs) Fair fair enough. (laughs) Dodge dodge the... uh... The most played deck. That's that's not that's not bad either, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely wasn't a normal tournament. It, 
but I mean, that's bound to happen to 3,400 person modern event, which is a format that except for a small contingent of pros is always going to be a format that people are going to favor playing the decks they like, or they've been playing for ages over the decks that are considered the best. So it was kind of an event where anyone could be playing anything at any time. Yeah, that's fair. The, the top eight was pretty representative of, of that statement. I guess. Right. <laughs> um, well, we'll keep you, Manny, we'll keep you on for uh, the next segment of the show. Uh, congratulations again. You went to Cleveland, but I'll move over to Rob now. Because, Thank you. Uh, he decided to go to Cleveland as well with misplaced Ginger, or boy, or uh, superstar MTGO trophy champion. And how did you guys do? Uh, take it away, Rob. Yeah, so uh, our pool, our day one pool is like uh, pretty good. I, I'd say it was like slightly above average. Uh, our our black white zombie deck was like almost a ten. Uh, I ended up being able to pilot that one to a nine zero uh, on the day. So it was it was uh, it was pretty good. It had all the pieces. It had good zombies, reasonable removal, the monument, the trial, uh, a bunch of top crop elites. It's just like exactly what you want to do in that deck. The other two decks were like maybe like six to sevens. Uh, I went down with Felix. Uh, Say was the other person on the team. Uh, he ended up building like a blue-black control deck that was splashing red for uh, Warfire Javelinier and had Liliana in it and like a lay claim, but like not any other like really power or like good cheap removal or good cheap interaction um, at the low end. So he just like was hoping... I mean, we're trying to make the deck good against aggro, but it's just like so many pools can have two good aggro decks that he like played against white, red, or white, black like almost every round, and it was like pretty tough for him. Um, and then Derek had like a red, green beatdown deck that was like really explosive but very inconsistent. So sometimes he just like smashed someone on turn five and they were dead, and sometimes he was like do, do a bunch of nothing or whatever. It had like Hazaret and, and some other reasonable cards in it, but we ended the day six three. Uh, two of those rounds were definitely like not anything we can do about it. The other two decks just crushed us. Um, but there was probably a round where we could have figured out uh, some different lines. Um, and I, not that we would come out away with the win, but like the way we played them was like minimizing our chance to, <laughs> to get a win instead of maximizing it. So we probably threw away like, I don't know, 10 or 20% given the lines we took in, in both of the outside games um, and ended up losing them, them both. Uh, so yeah, 6-3 on day one was like not where we wanted to be, but it was like, okay. Felix just needed an X3 finish uh, in the tournament to hit silver, so he was still kind of happy about that. Uh, <laughs> our, our day two pool was like definitely worse than our day one pool, um, but we thought it was reasonable. I think, like, looking back on it, we ended up building, like, uh, a seven and, like, two fives instead of, like, uh, two nines and a seven. <laughs> so we just, like, grossly misbuilt um, our day two pool, in my opinion, and ended up going, like, two-two drop instead of probably a pretty uh, easy uh, five-o, I think. Our pool was, like, it seemed not strong, but we had, like, three Magma Sprays, three Deem Worthies, yeah. You know, three Gus Walkers. It was like these are the cards you like want in triplicate. <laughs> so it was uh, it was reasonable, but but we got worked because of our inexperience in uh, being able to evaluate all the combinations efficiently within the you know the allotted hour. But all in all, it was a pretty good event. I got to troll Ginger a bunch, uh, telling everyone he's misplaced Ginger. So uh, 
he didn't enjoy that, which means I enjoyed it greatly. <laughs> <laughs> I hate, I hate, I hate that stuff too. I think Brian does that to me, or <laughs> a lot of people do that to me, including you, Rob. You've done it to me. Um, it's the best one. He's just like his opponent's like, "Oh, hey, my name's John," and he's like, "Oh, Derek," and I'm like, I'm "Like, do you know this is misplaced ginger?" <laughs> I was like, "Really?" And then the guy next to him's like, "You're misplaced ginger?" <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> did it. <laughs> the MTGO Trophy Master, um, Rob. Like, uh, you talk about like your inexperience. So, what are the main takeaways for you? Like, what are you doing more of or less of? leading up to your next team uh team gp whenever that is yeah so i thought um like my prep was just going to be i i've done a lot of single player sealed so i'm like very familiar with uh the format the cards the decks i've done a lot of drafts so i know you know what what's good and what's bad i thought that cracking like five or six sealed like team sealed pools beforehand getting a feel for like how the pools are shaped and what you can do with them uh would be enough and, like, we kind of walked through two or three pools, like, as a team as well to kind of, like, get our dynamic straightened out, which I think we did reasonably well. Like, we executed to the plan that we had set ourselves up with. <laughs> it's just, like, that plan didn't allow us to be, I don't know, as effective as maybe uh, other teams were, which is probably why, like, PGO and, and those, like, other superstar teams do so well. I think they just have a better process for deck building that allows them to ensure they're finding the best combinations, right? Like if you make an error in deck building, you really are limiting yourselves and your, your ability to, to, you know, maximize your win percentage. So um, what we did or like our strategy, I guess, was look at the cards and figure out like, which is the obvious deck, then like build it out. And then now you have like this reduced card set and figure out what the other two decks are going to be from that. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, we're obviously going to play this. Like everything's here. And our day two pool, we like had two, black uh, zombie lords and like a bunch of reasonable zombie cards. So it's like, yeah, this seems like the obvious deck. Let's like pile it out as a draft and then, you know, pack it up and, and do the other decks. But it ended up that we like didn't actually look at white, red aggro and red, black aggro um, because the white, black zombie deck just like took those cards away very early in the process. And I think that my strategy for evaluating what color pairs we're going to try and attack would be completely different in the next team event. So I kind of like posted about this in the nation a little bit, like how I would approach the problem, but it's basically like just very quickly, just like pair everything together. Like every, like all 10 two color pairs. I mean, you can eliminate the ones that are like definitely garbage in the format. And then just give them a ranking based on like what you like, just inherently look at the card quality and be like, yeah, this is like a seven, this is an eight, this is a three, whatever. And then see if you have like any, like a non-intersection between like your highest numbers, right? And we would have had non-intersection between color pairs that I would have given nine nine seven to, <laughs> and they probably would have yielded decks that's like uh, eight eight uh, six point five or something like that. Once you actually like kind of look at the actual deck and not just like you know, oh these cards are are good or not, right? So um, yeah, I don't know that I'm gonna try that out in the next one and see if that's better. It, it might be worse, but I feel like it's. At least wouldn't let me uh, misbuild a pool so savagely again. I hope. <laughs> Brian, Brian, let's get you in here. Uh, what do you think about that approach, and how, how would you approach this? Does it make sense what uh, Rob Rob is doing in his new his new idea? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. You know, I've played like probably uh, probably about five um, team limited tournaments now, and my results. I, I had one with kind of a team which 
wasn't really uh it wasn't designed to win we were there to have a good time but the ones where i've had a serious team uh, my results have been fine and every time despite that i still felt like i did something horribly wrong and my process was nowhere near optimized i mean it Rob said something which kind of rang true to me. And he's like, oh, well, I felt like I knew the format really well from, from playing sealed and like I knew the cards, but it just doesn't translate. Like the, the two experiences are totally different. And I think you need so much practice and so much experience with team sealed. Um, and I don't quite know the magic bullet as of now. Like I said, I have okay results. I, I actually missed the top four by one game in, uh, in Barcelona a few years back. Um, so I, I've been close, but I, even then I, I felt like our process was just like, all right, let's make three decks. And it, it wasn't, you know, we did some of the stuff Rob was talking about. Like we had the obvious deck and we kind of before the tournament postulated about how you ideally want to be broken down. But I, I think all of those approaches, I mean, in magic, anytime you enter a situation with presuppositions, you're limiting yourself. So if you go, we should be building in this way that you're, you're shoe, whether you realize it or not, whether you think you're adaptable, if you have those those preconceived notions, you're going to limit your process somewhat. So I, I think you need to be more open, more flowing, um, and just more ready to adjust to any situation which the pools might present. And that kind of, again, what Rob said, that speaks to getting away from the obvious deck. Like, oh, here's all these zombie lords. We should definitely be playing zombies. Oops, we're totally wrong. And I think I've had a similar situation. Um, and it was like Theros block team sealed where we had like a deck which had two gods and was like uh, an insane aggro deck. And then when you actually stopped and thought about the way the cards flowed together it it didn't make sense at all that these should be in the same pool even though you know on its surface this would be the aggro deck we put together it just limited our other two decks so much um so it's an insanely complicated format if you have a team limited event coming up all i can say is you need to go play a bunch of team limited and i know that's difficult because there's not other team limited events but grab another team that's going sit there and play for i don't know if you're serious about winning a week or two straight. I mean, I'm I'm sure now, not only does the Peach Garden Oath have, you know, tons of in-tournament experience, I'm sure their prep is really intense too. And I, I promise you they built a lot of pools before this tournament. You know, not only are they some of the best players on the planet, but I think they prepare more than everyone else too. Um, and so they're always going to be there. If you want to win a team sealed tournament, you have to start thinking about beating them um, and you just have to up your prep. It, it's going to take a, a concerted effort by a team who really wants to dethrone them to do so. Okay, Manny, I, I muted you. I don't know if you know that, but uh, how was your how was your uh, GP Cleveland experience? And what do you think about the like the talk of this process? Were, was your team prepared from from the get go? Um, so I agree with a lot of the points that were made regarding preparation. Uh, my GP Cleveland experience was a little different than my usual team sealed uh, experience because I went into the event uh, knowing only one of my teammates. The second teammate I'd never met before, he was friends with the other teammate and I was kind of uh, asked last minute to be the third for that team. But going into it, I knew uh, my friend, I knew that I could trust him and I could trust his judgment and the other players. So when we met, we kind of immediately hit it off. We hadn't done any testing going into the event in terms of the specific team seal format. I think there's a great point to be made for uh, 
testing being relevant for Team Sealed. But I think more than testing of that specific format being relevant, it's really important to just know how to manage your time and how to evaluate pools in Team Sealed in general. I think that's something that flows from format to format. There are different nuances for each set, but overall way things work can be applied to a lot of the different formats. And uh, I've noticed that's something that is kind of a common factor in the Team Steel Grand Prix that I've played is once you get the deck building more streamlined, once you know what you're trying to do, once you know which roles you're giving to different players, that you're able to make the most of your time, look at the most possibilities, and quickly identify which ones make sense and which ones don't, and when you have to sacrifice a more powerful deck, for example, a deck that has multiple on-color, multicolored cards, because that build doesn't make sense with your other two decks, once you identify those situations, then you can have a better shot at doing well in the event, because you're using the time you're given more efficiently. Unfortunately, our pulls for the event were both pretty mediocre. We kind of noticed that. We spent a lot of time looking at a lot of different builds, and none of them seemed good. We stumbled into day two with the 6-3 record, but uh, in the end, it wasn't really enough. And I think this kind of happens sometimes. Another on the show, Team 6-3. Manny, I just want to ask a question um, from the chat, actually. Yep. Does Manny winning make Vancouver more of a legitimate market for Canadian magic now? Or will we still get trolled by Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, etc.? <laughs> Well, I I always believe that Vancouver had a really strong community for Magic. It was just, at different times, the competitive drive has kind of dipped. And right now, I feel like Vancouver Magic is at its peak of the number of players that are putting in the time to travel to events, to grind the PPTQ and RPTQ circuit. And for this upcoming Pro Tour, I think we have five players qualified. I think for the last Pro Tour, we had six players qualified. And this is a number that doesn't seem like it's going to be going down anytime soon. It's just on the up. And I don't think this has anything to do with my Grand Prix win. I think my Grand Prix win is a blip in a community that I'm currently not even really an active part of. But the Vancouver Magic community is definitely not a joke, and it's full of amazing (laughs) players that are putting a lot of time and effort into being great at the game. And I think we're going to start seeing more of those names, like Ben Hall, who's currently gold and top four of the Pro Tour and top eight of the Grand Prix. And players like that are going to continue emerging from Vancouver. I found that interesting because we do have, like, uh, Ao Paquette, who's one, known as one of the be- best Canadian players ever. And he's, he's, from, he's from there. Are the right. Cunningham brothers still both uh, in British Columbia? Yeah, they are both in British Columbia. One of them doesn't really... His competitive stint was... Came and gone 
quite quickly, but uh, Jeff Cunningham still plays quite competitively. He still coaches. He he does a lot of coaching for uh, local players, multiple players that have qualified for the Pro Tour have actually uh, enlisted his services and gone on to great results for the last Pro Tour. Tyrell Wheeler uh, worked with Jeff and he piloted the deck uh, they came to go to to a 12th place finish, uh, which qualifies him for uh, the next Pro Tour, gives him a good shot at silver. And it, a lot of that he credited to working with Jeff. So just having access to someone with that kind of knowledge and that kind of approach to the game, which I think it's safe to say that even now, there's it's rare to find someone who approaches the game like Jeff Cunningham did. He's one of the greatest minds to ever play Magic, and he's always going to come at the game at an angle that other people just are not coming at. Yeah, I saw that in the uh, in the Facebook group where he was talking about um, his price for coaching. So it's pretty cool stuff. Like, there's just so many known players from Vancouver and British Absolutely. Columbia. I just feel like if you're in the other places, unfortunately that just don't have the luxury of having a huge magic uh, base like Saskatchewan or a lot of the provinces like way out east that have a strong community but don't get to play in as many high-level tournaments. That, those are the, the places that, like, it's yeah. a shame for those places. There's definitely, there's definitely players there as well. And one of the problems with being removed from the larger magic community is playing with players that are better than you is a way to improve your skill. And when you are part of an isolated community, it doesn't really matter how good you become within that community because it's still not at the peak of how much improvement you could be facing. I think that's yeah. the benefit of living in one of these big cities is we have these amazing communities. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I got better getting squashed by Alexander Hain all the time. So <laughs> it became, became a lot better after losing it all many times. Um, Rob, any, any questions with Matt for Manny as we, we're going to let him go here? Well, I guess what, what's up coming up for you next? Just uh, Kyoto uh, or do you come to Toronto first? No, my... Uh, my invite from the Grand Prix Top 8 is actually for Albuquerque, which is the oh. first Pro Tour of next year. Uh, so no Kyoto, no Toronto. I haven't really considered how I'm going to approach the next year. I kind of have the option of trying to make a run for it because I have that first PT invite and booking some Grand Prix. But I also feel like unless I do well at that Pro Tour, I don't really have an interest on returning to the grind. So more likely than not, my next big event will be Albuquerque. And depending on how things go there, I'll evaluate whether I want to travel to more Grand Prix or not. That's currently my plan. I don't really know if that'll change or not. That's fair. I mean, that's kind of what I did with Kaladesh this year. And it looks like I'll be probably a point short of silver yet again. <laughs> That's rough. I, I, I do my best. <laughs> Manny, uh, where can people find you uh, besides Twitter at Zapgaze? Is that the best place to find you? 
Uh, Twitter at Zapgaze is the best place to find me. I'm also on Twitch. I've taken a break from streaming for a while, but I'm going to be trying to get back into it. Also at Zapgaze, so they can follow me on Twitch and hopefully catch a stream. I'll be looking to make a normal schedule sometime soon. I don't really know when, but once that happens, hopefully it'll be cool. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your modern thoughts and, of course, your Team Seal thoughts. Wait, we really, I, really appreciate I, can't, I can't let Manny go without asking him a super important question now that I know he's from Vancouver. Do you ever go visit the raccoons in Stanley Park? Because I love those raccoons so much, dude. They're the coolest thing ever. I do not. I, uh, do you know what I'm actually, talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. That's the biggest problem. I actually basically never go through Stanley Park unless I'm driving. So oh. I just don't know about these raccoons. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, and for anyone else okay. in Vancouver, when you first like enter Stanley Park, uh, coming from, I believe it would be the, I believe it would be the Western entrance. You walk in and there's a yep. little pond there, and the pond yep. kind of, uh, there's a road that runs along the pond, and that leads back to where like the pool is and, and the, the bayfront in the back. Sure. And that little road that runs along the pond, there's like a ton of raccoons there. And they're the friendliest raccoon okay. possible. They'll actually take food out of your hand. If you look at my Twitter profile, it's a picture of me feeding one of the raccoons uh, in Stanley Park. And they're amazing. And That's awesome. Everyone should go visit the raccoons in Stanley Park. When, when I was there for the Pro Tour, I brought uh, me and Gerard Fabiano and Andy Boswell and uh, Kai Buda went and, and fed the raccoons. And it was, they were like super into it. I want to go back just to see them again. That's like my next stop in Vancouver. Awesome. There you go. Inside Sounds tips good. from an outsider. There you go. <laughs> Free tennis shot included. No, they're fine. They're super friendly. They won't hurt you. All right. Thank you so much, Manny. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. Good night. That was uh, Manny Davuti, Zap Gaze, who had just won GP Vegas, the, the modern tournament. Like, I was really happy when I found out he won. I think it's one of the, for me, in terms of just, I guess the name just feels really prestigious. Like when the first GP Las Vegas was announced, I like, I played in it, the Modern Masters. I really wanted to win it, like the first one. And uh, to this day, I still remember like Neil Oliver won the first one, whereas like a lot of these other GPs, I don't, I don't really know. So seeing him win that one was huge. Um, Brian, what do you make of like Peach Garneau, like PGO just crushing this type of tournament? Is that is that cool? Or? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, they're, they're the best. They're, not only are they, you know, probably, they're definitely all three of them in the top 10 players in the world, for sure. Uh, you can debate the points, but they're all three up there. Um, and they're also just the best at this format, probably that's ever been. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of dominance is an awesome story for Magic. You think about one of the hard parts of establishing professional magic as a spectator sport is that the variance inherent and it makes it so you don't see the same faces over and over. Well, that doesn't apply to team CL both because these guys are that good. And because there's a lot of factors limiting the variance at hand. Um, So yeah, I think this is all upside. It's, it's it's awesome for the viewer. It's an awesome story. And it's, it's great to have a GPN boss. Like we all know PTQN bosses, right? Because the, the skill disparity is so large that it's the same people in the top eight of every PTQ. That's how it used to be. Um, but it's hard to get that kind of same atmosphere with a GP. Uh, but these guys have thrown those rules out the window. 
And I just got to give props to him. Right? It's, it's an amazing knowledge of a format and just an amazing play skill. And I think we're all better off for getting to see it. That was one of the things I said a, a few weeks ago, I think, when I was saying, like, it's hard to, like, market these people in, like, the UFC or other sports where, like, there's less variance. So you know who to market. You know who to put the dollars in marketing in. Um, do you see anything they could do to just, like, really make this, like, the GPN boss thing and, and like, more Team Sealed events? Maybe I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's one option. You could, you could do this more often. And, you know, I, I've said that I... I don't really like playing in these events, but I do think they're great from a spectator point of view. Um, and to some extent, this is what they try to do with the Pro Tour team series, right? Like they try to reduce variance by having multiple Pro Tour team members have their totals count towards the, you know, this, this end of the year cup. And, and that hasn't quite come to fruition yet, but maybe it's about to, and we'll see a, a big impact at the next Pro Tour. Um, but as far as how to make GPs more appealing, I mean... We, we've talked about this a little bit. You could do more buys, but the casual players is not going to be thrilled about that. And I think rightfully so. Um, so I, I don't really see a GP answer. GPs are kind of just like this weird anomaly. Um, and yeah, I, I think the only real tool we have at our disposal right now is, is stuff like this. I mean, they could go back to things like Rochester draft, right? That's one option where it's a, a hugely skill testing format, but I, I don't think anyone wants to see a Rochester draft or probably the number of people who actually know how to do a Rochester draft at this point is, is very small. Um, so yeah, I, I guess this will be our one time a year where we have like an end boss to root against or root for, depending on your perspective. Rob, you want to chime in? Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense that they're uh, consistently the best. I, I think the best part about them winning is that Owen was just, like, trolling people all week leading up to the event. Like, you know, we're going to win. I need to, you know, people are starting to run their mouth. I need to show them who still runs these streets, stuff like that. And then they end up just, like, taking the whole thing down. I mean, it's it's like Babe Ruth, right? Like, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Here we go. So, um, I mean, I think that has a pretty a pretty fun story to it, even though, like, some people will think he's being overly cocky. I think he's mostly joking, but there's still some truth to his words, right? Like, they're, they're obviously the most likely team to win uh, a sealed uh, GP format. And, like, Felix and I were talking about this. He kind of asked me a question, like, you know, why, why do you think they're just so dominant? Like, how is it that, like, every time all of these teams are so dominant? It's like... Their win rate is only like, you know, it's like 60, 70%. Like, that's good. But, like, how is it that they're like 30, 40% better than, than everyone else? Like, just the average team or whatever. I'm like, man, their, their deck building process is better, right? Like, they're probably, at the end of the day, they're probably not like, oh, we misbuilt our pool by 30 or 40%. They're like, maybe they misbuilt it. I, I'm sure they're very, very unlikely to misbuild their color combinations, right? Maybe they're like, oh, we should have played illusory wrapping in the main. And so in the side, it ended up being really good based on, like, what people were doing. Or, like, oh, maybe we should have played the second Axis and Scatter in the main. Or maybe we should have only played one. Like, that's probably the, the kind of differences they're arguing about at the end of the day. Not like, uh, I think we should have played white-red, <laughs> not green-red. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, like, when your deck is 20 to 30% better than everyone else's, or uh, than a random deck, basically, right? Um, and then your match win percentage individually is 20% higher than the random person. It's just like, 
you know, very hard to lose like two of those three matches, right? Unless your pool is like the actual stains. So I, I think it makes sense. And, and you see the other teams with like very good limited people in them. Like Stark's team was doing well. Um, Yuza's team was doing well. And it's just like, this is just expected, right? Like these are great limited minds and they're going to produce better decks coming out of the, the sealed pool, which is very difficult to do in the first place. And then you, you couple that with very tight <laughs> and like a uh, good play. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, team sealed is where you want to be. If you're a pro, I, I think they would probably prefer. It's almost always uh, a team event that gives them the best chance of, of uh, consistently cashing. <laughs> All right. Let's try, jump straight to standard. Because Brian here won a PPTQ and made an interesting tweet that I loved that uh, Mardu is still the best post-board deck in the format. Actually, I I, I just think that's true. I mean, I I think it's kind of, I actually think it's kind of indisputable. And I've been thinking a lot about the reasons for that. Um, There's a few things you can point to. First of all, it's a three-color deck, so it has more options than something like Mono Black Zombies or, you know, Blue Red Control or something like that. Um, but I think the main thing is that the core cards in Mardu are so good at playing both ways. They're so good on offense and defense, and you can't really say that as much about other cards. Um, you know, even you can you can draw parallels across like the five drops. So think about like Glorybringer in um, the Rug Energy deck versus Avacyn in the Mardu list. Um, one of those cards is is amazing on offense. Really terrible on defense. Well, Avacyn kind of plays both ways. You think about the Planeswalker. Chandra, kind of a better defensive card than an offensive card. You know, it'll do a little bit to, to generate some kind of grindiness and some card advantage. Um, but it won't close out games as hard as Gideon does. But at the same time, Gideon, Gideon's tokens ability allows it to play the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and even when a Planeswalker isn't good, because there are board situations where a Planeswalker isn't necessarily going to be good, Gideon just has his emblem. So all the core cards of Mardu are so great at being flexible and playing both offense and defense that when it comes time to formulate a sideboard plan, you're just generating so much more flexibility. Um, I felt favored in every matchup post-board. I mean, this was a small tournament, and I was the best player in the room. So there's only so much to take away from it. I don't think there's like... um, I don't think the format's solved. I'm not telling you that Mardu is 100% the best deck. Everyone should be playing it. I thought it was a very good choice for me in that tournament. Um, I, I really liked my sideboard plans. I, I've shared the list with the nation. Um, I don't know if people are playing it or not, but I, I had a ton of success on, on leagues online before, um, before the tournament itself. And I, I just think it's a really great place to be right now, primarily because of the sideboard options. You're getting so much diversity. Uh, also, uh, Walking Ballista, despite the fact that if I were to look at the other decks in this format, I would say, well, Walking Ballista doesn't line up with a lot of these. There's not a lot of, you know... Um, one toughness creatures going around. It's still so much better than the other options. It's so much better than veteran motorist. It's so much better than, I mean, like things like glory bound initiate, I guess you could play. I promise you walking ballista is just so much better than those cards. The flexibility, again, flexibility, a key tenant of the Marty vehicles deck. Uh, it, it really shines through on ballista. You're not super happy to play it on turn two, obviously. Um, but you can, and that's the thing is that you always have the options. And, and you know, when your Ballista on turn two is killing a Crypt Breaker, okay, now you're into that. Like, like, that's a really good deal. And you'd much rather do that than play your Motorist in most spots. Um, 
so yeah, play Ballista. Take a look at my list. I, I, I do highly recommend it. I'm looking forward to playing with, playing with it some more, refining it some more. Um, but I, I still love this format. It continues to be really interesting. I've enjoyed all my games. I'm so happy to have a playable standard again. It, it feels like night and day, honestly, to me. I'm like super sad that Watsi didn't make this ban before GP Montreal so that you could have given me this deck list and I could have just 15 owed. Yeah, a, it's, a, it's a really good list. I, I'm sure maybe some people are not aware, but um, when Brian gives me a Mardu list, I'm undefeated in matches. I might be undefeated in games, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a great gift from the MTG gods to uh, have that opportunity. Alas, I played Marvel and got wrecked. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not surprised to hear you say that Mardu is uh, still uh, very sick. Um, I feel like someone said that last week when we were talking about which decks <laughs> were good to play in standard. So I'm glad you came around, Brian. <laughs> Keep to be fair, I, I still think Zombies is a very good deck, um, but I think it, it bears a target. And it, it falls victim to that target much harder than Mardu. Even if you're targeting Mardu, it's, it's a very difficult deck to hit out. I do think there are effective sideboard options against Zombies, uh, Declaration and Stone. I played Chandra Six in my sideboard, which is yeah, a Chandra very Six difficult is just card. A blow up. Yeah, and and you know you have to make as the Mardu player, there are some concessions you have to make. I played uh, Cultivator's Caravan as opposed to like uh, Harvester or you know some of the other cards that you often see in that three drop slot. But I was comfortable with that card; it, it was totally fine for me, um, and it, it lets you play those those six drop games in the post board games. And yeah, there's a lot of good options to deal with zombies. I don't know if people have really gotten to them yet. Um, I have seen some more Chandra Sixes popping up in sideboards on Magic Online. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Declaration in Stone yet, which is weird because that that was a really great card for me all day. Uh, I think it's maybe a little underplayed right now. Um, But yeah, I I didn't want to wear that target. I would rather be the one, um, I guess I would say, more confident about my plans because the Zombies deck has to, a lot of times, anticipate what the other deck is going to do against it. Because um, it brings in things like scrap heap scroungers, or maybe it brings in boats, or it brings in discard. Um, but all of these things are the, their worth is contextual, and it depends on what the opponent's sideboard plan is. You know, uh, especially against Mardu, um, if you keep in four fatal push against my post board plan uh, as the Mardu player, and, and you're playing zombies, you're in a really bad spot. You do not want four fatal push against me post board, but I, I guarantee there's zombies. Let's bring in more removal. Um, because they they fear the Mardu player taking the aggressive side of the matchup, and uh, you know a- everyone approaches these matchups differently, and it's really hard to anticipate what your opponent's going to do. So I'd rather be the one kind of defining things. As as the Mardu player, I honestly don't care what the Zombies player is going to do. I know what my sideboard plan is, and they really can't stray too far from their kind of locked in synergistic deck. It's not possible. They they have there's some core cards they have to play in post board games, uh, and and my. My plans line up really well against their plans. So, uh, yeah, big ups to Marty right now. Definitely, I would recommend it for your next tournament. And, and you're on the Avacyn plan, not the Glorybringer plan? I, I yep. feel like someone mentioned that, too. Yep. Yeah, well, there <laughs> was, only the great. <laughs> there was There was a time for Glorybringer, 100%. And, I, and there could be a time for Glorybringer again. I don't think one of these cards is better than the other card. But someone asked me about it at the tournament, and what I said is that a Glorybringer is great when you're ahead. But I felt there were so many times where Avacyn got me out of a situation where the game was otherwise unwinnable if I didn't have Avacyn in my deck. 
you can just create blocks and, and you can pressure your opponent at instant speed. And, and there's so much more versatility. Again, a keyword, versatility. I keep coming back to the versatility of the Mardu deck. And that's just what I want right now. I, I demand versatility out of, out of my magic cards because I think sideboarding in this metagame is kind of more important than it's ever been. And knowing your role is more important than it's ever been. And it's, it's just really great fundamental magic being played right now. Uh, and, and Avacyn plays into that plan of presenting yourself with a lot of different options and, and being able to play out of all scenarios. So that's why I'm falling on the Avacyn side of things right now. But you could certainly see a world where Glorybringer rises back to prominence. It's really not far-fetched at all. Fair. Good. All right. I'm glad is on top. <laughs> <laughs> we we've been on we were one of the first uh, on Team Maru and that w- that was fun. Okay, on to the moment people are waiting for. We're at fifty five viewers, so we're gonna jump right in to the spoiler. But uh, oh, I thought we were just ending the cast. Oh, I mean more. We're gonna, Let's we're just wrap it up. That's it. Let's yeah. not do the spoiler. See you later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna see if I can actually pull this off because it's gonna be a. Uh, that's just me. Oh, shout, shout outs to uh, Sebastien Lachance, uh, a patron of ours who said that like people aren't are just like showing the spoiler in a uh, just not doing it in a nice way. They just put it like a thumbnail in. So shouts to him, and uh, we will jump to me. I think. And whoops! Okay, here we go. There you, that, go. you did it. Is that good? So, First Strike is proud to present from Hour of Devastation, Hollow One. Let's see what Hollow One is. Uh, uh, Boom. It's a 4 4 for 5 mana. Artifact creature golem. Hollow One costs 2 colorless less to cast for each card you've cycled or discarded this turn. Cycling 2. What do you think about this card, Rob? Go right ahead. I mean, this card is very weird. Oh, for, for starters, it's definitely better than Pyramid of the Pantheon, right? Like, are we all in agreement to that? <laughs> um, did we spoil that card? <laughs> <laughs> who, who did that one? Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be great, but it's definitely very interesting. Uh, it'll, we'll have to see how the rest of the set looks and uh, how this ends up playing with the rest of Standard, but... If you if you discard two cards like this costs one. If you discard three, it's free and it has cycling too. So it, it, like people were talking about this like um, uh, news constrictor, like shadow from the grave, uh, flameborn adept, like kind of combo deck where you just like discard your hand, buy it back, and then discard your hand again to to try and kill them. Like this is a card that definitely wants to go in that deck, right? Like if you discard your hand, buy it back, and then you just get to slam a bunch of four fours on on like uh turn uh turn three like i don't know that that's reasonable like if you just play two four fours on turn three um it's gonna probably be a little bit hard to beat so i think that's probably where this this card um would sit i don't know if it would like sit in like a red blue zombies type like something playing cathartic reunion or whatever where you're like discarding uh two cards so that this costs one um that's not like the literal worst but i just feel like it doesn't fit the archetype but I don't know. I, I think this this might make the news constrictor deck something to actually think about if the mana allows that like red, green, black <laughs> in turn <laughs> one, two, and three to be to be available there. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's definitely exciting. Yeah, I think it's very good and limited. So I'm I'm happy to jam this in all of my Drake Haven and uh, like uh, random blue black cycling decks with Ceradon and and uh, that four four horror the broken lands and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Brian, uh, I think this is a real card. I, I think this is really interesting. Um, it's most obvious home and standard is the deck that Rob mentioned. I don't know how good that deck can ever realistically be. But, I, I mean, if you, if you craft some theoretical hands, it, it's very easy to come up with powerful turn threes um, where, you know, you just attack for 10 and now you have a 2-2 two, two and two four fours on the table um, and still a full grip. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think this is an exciting card. And I want to talk about it a little bit in the modern context. I know that seems like a little bit of a stretch. Um, for one reason being that 4-4s, four eh, size-wise and modern, that's not really too impressive when we're living in a world of Death Shadows and Tarmogoyfs. Um, but this is so easy to cast in modern. So easy to cast, uh, possibly for free in some spots. You, you cast a Faithless Looting and cycle a Street Wraith. Okay, now you have as many hollow ones as you have in your hand. Um, so that's, that's pretty easy. And now we just have to think about some other decks that, um, want to play faithless looting and they're kind of few and far between, but there are like bedlam reveler type decks. Um, and bedlam, bedlam reveler kind of plays with this card well as well. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's certainly a potentially powerful card. It's, it's potentially a free four, four that matters. Free cards matter a lot. Um, and if the hoops you're being asked to jump through aren't tremendous. And you also have to think in a lot of spots, you want to be cycling. It's, it's not a cost to be discarding a card. You just want to cycle. So, you know, maybe you cycle on turn three, you cycle sensors, cycle uh, dissenters deliverance and play hollow one. Well, now you made out just fine. There's no problem with that. And so there's only really one cycling deck in standard right now. That's the new perspectives deck. I don't think this fits there. Um, you talk about it as like a potential B plan, but it's just a really crappy B plan, especially because that deck relies on having a number of cards in its hand. So like playing two hollow ones in a turn could just totally shut off your new perspectives plan. Um, so I don't know if it's going to make a home there. I think it's most likely home and standard is like a noose constrictor type combo deck. Um, but I want to think about this card's modern application a little bit too. And, and also, you know, what's the best removal spell in modern right now well it's fatal push fatal push can't touch this guy so his uh five cmc is is a pretty pretty big deal in that spot um yeah this is this is infinitely more exciting than our last spoiler i i think this has (laughs) total potential play um and and maybe i let me put it this way i don't see a lot of build arounds in this set i see a lot of good cards a lot of cards that kind of slot into existing archetypes make a few decks more powerful than they were previously. Um, but the build-around type stuff isn't really there in my eyes. This might be the exception to that. This is a very interesting card. And I, if I was qualified for this Pro Tour, I would certainly build some decks around Hollow One because Hollow One at its optimal rate is a broken magic card. The question is how many hoops do you have to jump through to get it to its optimal rate? And, uh, you know, time will tell. This, this might be a widely played card. Mm. Oh, Rob, is this like uh, just quick limited breakdown? Is this good or sort of uh, meh? 
No, I mean, like, it, it's, a, it's a colorless 5-mana 4-4, four, four, which is fine, right? Like, that's not something you're always going to play, but it's all, not something you're always going to cut. The fact that it has Cycling 2 is pretty reasonable. Like, I think it's uh, better than um, the Red Ceridon but probably worse than River Serpent and Horror of the Broken Lands. But the fact that it gets the cost reduction kind of puts it on par uh, with those cards. And, like, both those cards are, like, pretty good. Like, I don't think it's a bomb and limited, obviously. <laughs> but there's a lot of decks uh, that may want to cycle two one-mana spells on turn two, like the blue-red spells deck or black-blue cycling. And then they can just, like, play this. Or, sorry, they would rather cycle two one-mana spells on turn three, and then they can just play this card, right? So uh, that deck doesn't really get to just play uh, something to um, either like kind of stall the board or start going on the aggressive like on so early in the game. It's usually like looking to kind of like turn the corner around turn five, turn six. So I, I think it's kind of interesting there. If I was in one of those archetypes, I would definitely take it. Um, it's not. Uh, it's definitely not a bad card, but I think it's like on the power level of a of a good like a C plus common. So. Um, it, it's like it's like playable, but it's not it's, it's not insane. <laughs> I, I play a lot of black, red, and uh, blue, black cycling though, so I'll probably take this higher than I should when I see it because <laughs> I, I can go into any of the Grixis color pair cycling deck now. <laughs> I don't even have to admit. <laughs> Do you agree with that assessment, Brian? Is this just like an okay limited card? You're okay. not like super super excited about it. Yeah, it's hard to get really excited about this card. I think it'll be, you know, if, if you're in those archetypes, it'll be a fine addition. I mean, it, that's the thing that could hold it back in constructed play as well, is that it's hard to just get excited about a vanilla 4-4 these days, no matter how cheap it is. Um, that's kind of crazy, but that's, that's where things are at, and, you know, that's a side effect of Death, Death Shadow. The, the one mana 12-12 kind of makes your, uh, your free 4-4 look a little, look a little silly. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll pick this. You'll be happy with it, if not a static. Right. Uh, you, you mentioned that you you've looked at the spoiler quite a bit, Brian. Yeah. Well, what do you? I want you as like the uh, the game design guru of our team. Like, well, what do you think about the the new mechanics, such as like afflict and um, some of the stuff that is coming out? Uh, um, I I think that on their surface, they I don't have strong opinions, right? right now about them is what i'd say um they're they're not really you know we, we've gotten used to the embalm mechanic at this point so kind of the bigger version of the embalm mechanic is we're not gonna get too excited about it eternalize um, eternalize yeah uh, we're not gonna get excited about it and or been out of shape you know we were concerned about the embalm mechanic when it came out uh, as far as uh, tracking things in play. I think we've kind of shown that it wasn't a big deal, right? Like everyone's experience with Embalm is mostly fine. A little annoying on the bookkeeping side, but I, I haven't heard of any real catastrophes. I don't think it's a recurring problem that we can't keep our Embalm cards straight. Um, so I, I guess this is a little, nice little wrinkle to it, um, a little point of interest. I, I just don't have a strong take in terms of, of mechanical design. I, I think... Uh, what, what's the other one called, KYT? The blocking mechanic? Uh, I think it's Afflict. The one yeah, that, like... that's one I have to play with. I, I really have to play with it and see how it affects games. Um, obviously, it incentivizes just swinging back and forth through each other and not blocking, because you're not getting the usual upside of blocking, which is, oh, I preserve my life total. Um, so 
sometimes that makes limited formats a little I don't want to say not interesting. It just, they just swing. Like think about Zendikar, which was a limited format. Original Zendikar, which was a format I hated because you just never blocked. If you were blocking, you were losing. The, the correct thing to do is just attack with all your guys every turn and just swing past each other. And there's been other limited formats like that. Um, but that's what a mechanic like this sometimes incentivizes. In this case, though, it's limited to a small number of cards. I, I don't think it'll really be format breaking when it comes to limited um but i want to play with it before i make any judgments on on how good it actually is for the limited format and it doesn't seem priced for constructed right now i haven't really seen any of those cards that i'm excited about in a constructed context um so i don't think we really have to think about it under those terms quite yet uh, going back to quickly on embalm though brian wouldn't you say that there's hasn't been like i, I haven't had to face it in constructed though like it, yeah, no, it didn't make its way to constructed for the most part. Uh, I'm sure you know there's a few fringe cases here and there, but but no widespread widespread play. Um, and I think eternalize is going to be the same thing. I think I haven't seen any of these, which I'm like, yes, this is a, a windmill slam. But that goes back to this set in general. I keep seeing these kind of like fine supporting cards, interesting cards. Um, but not a lot of build arounds and not a lot of cards that I'm like, all right, we need to figure out what the archetype that maximizes this card is. Um, you know, I, I think the new wrath is going to be really impactful. The destroy all permanence wrath. Um, I think that'll make a difference in control decks. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, but I, I haven't seen the build arounds with maybe the exception of our preview card. So that's kind of a cool thing. Rob, are you excited about the, the new set? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing super exciting, but I mean, that's, I guess, expected from uh, a small set. Um, I think that this, this set isn't going to help standard in any way <laughs> uh, become a better standard. Cause like it, it has uh, a bunch of like uh, very interesting casual cards, I guess. And then a bunch of like under costed weird, like exert yourself spells <laughs> which is like black black one wrath and then potentially white white three planar cleansing which uh both of which are uh very very good um so it'll be interesting to see if like that bet works out that like these two three mana wraths in standard at the same time is like really what you want and allows the format to flourish in a, in a meaningful way um I think Razakath is like kind of a, a, a cool card. Um, and I'm just in general disappointed that God Pharaoh's gift is not a legend and not a mythic. Like, why would you plant this stupid gate to the afterlife card in Amonkhet? Like, where you're like, you have a slot for a card that's totally useless in the current set because you want to like set up some future preview that's obviously got to be super exciting, right? Like, otherwise, why would you waste this card slot? And then it's just like a rare artifact. <laughs> I mean, what it does is kind of interesting, and it, it may or may not be good. Yeah, that, um, that could actually be another build around. I think that card's interesting. Yeah, it, it's fair. Like, because like, the gate to the afterlife is like five mana, and you get a seven mana artifact that just like buys back a creature from your graveyard with haste permanently every turn, uh, except for that creature's a 4 4. So, um, I don't know. There's a lot of good creatures in standard right now with ETB abilities. So, it'll be interesting to see. Um, if that card makes a splash, uh, I guess it'll be how consistent can you get six six guys in your graveyard that you actually care about because they have relevant ETBs versus, um, you know, I guess the, a lot of the incidental artifact hate that they've printed in the in the last two sets as well. So 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think control gets better from this set, which is probably um, a good thing uh, since the deck is like kind of non-existent. But I just worry that they went a little too far. I mean, if they just would have printed Blender Cleansing, I think people would have been like just very happy with that. <laughs> I don't know if it had to be Blender Cleansing with a possible white, white, white <laughs> mana cost. But we shall see. We shall see. I'm definitely going to take that card for a spin in my PT testing. There's like, uh, it's unavoidable, really. Man, I love how fast some of these people posted our spoilers. Oh, also they reprinted Humility as as a curse. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that, yeah. It's just like, why why does this card need to be in standard? It's just, it's just got the dumbest rules ever, like for any, almost any magic card, like, no one wants this card to be in the format, like, print it in Conspiracy or some commander deck, like, uh, I don't know. I I feel like Vince is going to tilt off when he hears that this card was, like, super relevant to the storyline, and that's why it it's it's in the set. <laughs> it's a shame we can't get his reaction like live and off the cuff right now. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That design just feels very unnecessary um, to be in a standard legal set. <laughs> All right, learn your layers. <laughs> that will do it for uh, this show. Um, just want to shout out to our first strike. Nation producers for First Strike Nation, just people in that. Um, it's been awesome and can't wait to meet a lot of you in less than a month at GP Toronto. So make sure you check out gptoronto2017.com for all the details. It's on July 21st to 23rd. I'll be there, and I hear there's also going to be a karaoke party building up on Saturday night as well. And so lots of exciting things are going to be happening. Don't miss it. And uh, any last words, guys? I have, I have some cool magic content coming out this week. I can't talk about it yet, but it's going to be really cool. You guys are going to like it. And I will, uh, I will make sure the nation knows when it is available for consumption. I hope it's Brian playing Tekken 7. Just talking talk <laughs> about magic really cards. Wildly about magic. <laughs> I remember when Shivan Dragon was the best card in Standard. <laughs> <laughs> was that jam combos? Yeah, that's, I, that's pretty much it. Rob spoiled it. Thanks, Rob. I'd, wa- I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Not too much for me. I, I have like um, a bunch of uh, very complex uh, board states with like lines that we came across in the tournament that I was like kind of like waiting for these types of scenarios to come up. So I'm going to like kind of write an article for the the Patreon people to go through that. Um, We had almost an entire weekend of discussion about these two lines of play uh, and asked like, I don't know, like 10 or 15 people (laughs) their opinion on what they thought the correct line was. And like, finally at the end of the weekend, I think we aligned um, to what the correct line was on, on both plays. So I think it's actually like a, kind of very interesting and very thought provoking. So looking forward to, uh, to get that up in the nation. Um, other than that, I'll just be like dirtling around on moto until GP Toronto rolls around, in which case I'll be able to add another trophy to my shelf. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so let's all win some tickets with some Mardu. Defend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Gotta, <laughs> I got to, uh, fatten up the bank account. So I can, <laughs> I can afford the, the next set of standard cards to test for the PT since I cannot get on Moto Beta. Thank you, Watsi. <laughs> all right. I mean, if you want access to Brian's account, join the nation for strike, uh, patreon.com slash first strike. And with that for Brian and Rob, I have to shout out Doug 
excellent job. I listened to the show on the way back from Vegas. It was awesome. So quick shout out to him. Uh, I just want you to know that while everyone else was talking about Doug replacing you full time, I was the only defender of you. <laughs> in the I, don't believe, I don't buy I kept saying minute. no. We need to keep KYT here. This is his show. The show couldn't run without him. Everyone else is like, maybe we should secretly replace KYT. And I'm like, stop. That is the man who runs the show. We're not even having this discussion. So I got your back, KYT. You remember that. I don't, I don't know if I remember that, but... No, that's what happened. I'll, I'll corroborate his story. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, make sure to leave a thumbs up, and we'll see you next week. 